MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, September 25th, 2020. Today, Trump issues memoranda to remove race and gender sensitivity training from the federal government. Mary Trump sues the president and his siblings for fraud. Durham's bullshit investigation includes Hillary's emails. Kremlin agent and former communications director for Department of Health and Human Services Mike Caputo is diagnosed with head and neck cancer. Adam Schiff sends a warning to Republicans in the Trump administration. Former Bernie Sanders co-chair Nina Turner starts a PR firm with the Mercury Group. And a judge denies Bill Barr's motion to dismiss the wrongful termination lawsuit filed by Andy McCabe. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Big show today, including uh, the Flip It Blue segment, where we will be talking to the Democratic candidate for Louisiana's 3rd District, the U.S. House of Representatives, Rob Anderson. And we have the Good News Block with Amy Carrero. She'll be joining us a little bit later. And, of course, later in the show with the interview, I'll be talking to the writer and director of The Comey Rule, Billy Ray. And The Comey Rule will be premiering on Showtime this Sunday, the 27th. We have a lot of news to get to before that, though, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Big lead news today comes from Maine Justice. A federal judge Thursday allowed a lawsuit from former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe against the Department of Justice to go forward. McCabe, as we know, is suing the Justice Department over his firing in 2018, accusing the agency of unlawfully demoting and then dismissing him just before his planned retirement due to perceived political bias in his work under then-Director James Comey. Uh, The DOJ sought to have this suit dismissed. They've filed a bunch of uh, uh, motions to dismiss this, saying the District Court for the District of Columbia does not have jurisdiction over McCabe's claims, which they call baseless. But Judge Randolph Moss, an Obama appointee, said the Department of Justice was misconstruing McCabe's allegations and that it was too soon to dismiss the lawsuit. Quote, portions of the defendant's motion are uh, premised on a misunderstanding on the claims the plaintiff asserts and does not assert while the remainder of the motion turns on disputed questions of fact that the court cannot resolve at this stage of the proceeding. In short, it is too early in the case to determine which, if either, of the parties' competing versions of the relevant facts is correct. The court will accordingly deny defendants' motion to dismiss and will set a schedule for discovery and further proceedings. Uh, The agency... Um, Department of Justice has defended its firing of McCabe following findings from its internal watchdog, the IG, that he gave a leak to the media designed to advance his personal interests at the expense of the department leadership. McCabe's pushed back on those claims, citing public remarks from President Trump bashing him ahead of his dismissal, allegations Moss said the court should hear. And not to mention, and I have to add this here, this isn't in the reporting, but, you know, when the the internal watchdog said that he gave a leak to the media. Uh, McCabe is allowed to do that. As the deputy director of the FBI, it, it's up to him what goes to the media. So they were trying to get him on lack of candor because he, I guess, had forgotten or said that he didn't give permission to public uh, relations to release that information to the Wall Street Journal uh, when he did. And he corrected the record before any of that went out, uh, but, but they fired him nonetheless. And something else he's firing the, or he's suing them for is wrongful termination because they had Sessions fire him and only Chris Ray could fire 
uh, uh, could fire him uh, because uh, basically you have to have the he was demoted right and then Chris Ray became the director and by the policy uh, by by government policy and agency policy it's the director that has to fire a subordinate. And at that point, he was a subordinate. So it wasn't proper for Sessions to fire him. And Sessions fired him, by the way, after he had already completed his 20 years of service. He fired him on a Friday night uh, after he had finished his work day and then had taken some leave that he had earned. And so he had actually already technically finished his time in his job uh, that was needed to retire, but they withheld his benefits anyway. So a lot of different things going on in this lawsuit. Um, and quote, defendants might ultimately show that attorney, the attorney general was not swayed by the president's tweets and his comments, but plaintiff is entitled to test his claim of improper influence through discovery and the rules of civil litigation. So basically this judge is saying, you can't say the claims are baseless if we haven't heard them yet. And this hasn't been argued in court and we do have jurisdiction. So bye. So that's, that's the lead story today. Now, also today, president Trump has announced and he did this last night, that the White House um, attempt to halt federal agencies' anti-racism training uh, would be expanded to block federal contractors from promoting radical ideologies that divide Americans by race or sex. The executive order, which appears to give the government the ability to cancel contracts if anti-racist or diversity trainings focused on sexual identity or gender are, are organized. Uh, the memo applies to executive departments and agencies, the U.S. military, federal contractors, and the federal grant recipients. So the White House said in its order it would prohibit, quote, prohibit federal agencies and federal contractors from conducting training that promotes race stereotyping, for example, by portraying certain races as oppressors by virtue of their birth. So they, uh, Trump here isn't trying to say that, you know, uh, d racism divisive, we need to stop training people to be racist. He wants to stop training people to not be racist. The memo denounces blame-focused diversity training and race or sex stereotyping or scapegoating while acknowledging that training employees can create an inclusive workspace and is appropriate and beneficial. Uh, Trump tweeted, Americans should be taught to take pride in our great country, and if you don't, there's nothing in it, there's nothing in it for you. Um, Trump signed an order last week, by the way, to promote patriotic education through an effort called the 1776 Commission while denouncing the New York Times project, um, you know, invest that investigated the impacts of racial injustice for black Americans done largely at the hands of white people who have historically oppressed racial minorities in the United States. Uh, this memo specifically targets the teaching of divisive concepts that include the idea that one race or sex is su or superior, the U.S. is fundamentally racist or sexist, that individuals should feel discomfort, guilt, or anguish, or uh, physiological distress because of their race or sex, meaning that you're white or a man, and that an individual bears responsibility for past actions by others uh, of the same race or sex. Um, Renika Moore, director of the ACLU Racial Justice Program, said in an, an emailed statement, Our country needs to acknowledge and reckon with its history of systemic racism and radical discrimination. Instead, the Trump administration is leading with ignorance and moving to ban training that could help assess the issue. This is an attack on the fight for racial justice. So that's going on. Uh, also in the news today, Mary Trump, as we know, President Donald Trump's niece, filed a lawsuit today, accusing the president and his siblings of committing fraud in order to deprive her of her interests in the family real estate empire built by Fred Trump Sr. In the lawsuit filed in New York State Court against Trump, his sister Marianne, and the estate of their late brother Robert, Mary asserts that for the Trumps, fraud was not just the family business, it was a way of life. 
The lawsuit accuses her two uncles and her aunt, a retired federal judge, of conspiring amongst themselves and with several other parties, including a trustee appointed to act on Mary's behalf to give her a stack of fraudulent valuations and force her to sign a settlement agreement that fleeced her of tens of millions of dollars or more. Rather than protect Mary's interest, they designed and carried out a complex scheme to siphon funds away from her interests, conceal their grift, and deceive her about the true value of what she had inherited. And so that's, uh, you know, if you right now we're doing the Mary Trump Book Club for patrons. Um, and this is all sort of spelled out in there about how this all happened to her. We just finished Chapter 8 and Chapter 9, which talk specifically about Erwin Durbin, who was, the tru- you know, one of the trustees, uh, who has a fiduciary responsibility to her, by the way, who had her sign this paperwork um, when she was 16 years old. It's unconscionable what happened. So we will keep an eye on this lawsuit. Also, John Durham, the federal prosecutor reviewing the FBI's Russia's, Russia investigation uh, on behalf of Barr, you know, that's looking into the oranges. Um, John Durham has sought information about the Bureau's handling of the Clinton Foundation investigation. This is according to a report from the New York Times. Citing people familiar with the matter, the Times reported Thursday that Durham has pursued documents and interviews about how federal authorities handled a probe into allegations of corruptions at the, cha- you know, at the charity of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Durham, who was tapped by Barr last year to examine the origins of the FBI's 2016 investigation into Russia and the Trump campaign. Uh, but Thursday's report from the Times suggests the scope of Durham's investigation is broader. According to the Times, Durham's team suggested to others that they're looking at whether the investigators in the Russia probe flouted laws or policies, and they were comparing the FBI Russia probe into the Clinton Foundation investigation. Interesting. The Times noted it's unclear if Durham's team was looking for similar violations in the FBI's Clinton Foundation investigation. And the newspaper said it was also not clear as to whether the comparison between the two FBI investigations would weigh on the outcome of Durham's inquiry for Barr. Former law enforcement officials declined to comment. A spokesman for Durham declined to comment. The Clinton Foundation, though, said regularly uh, that the Clinton Foundation has regularly been subject to baseless, politically motivated allegations. And time after time, these allegations have been proven false. We just had a couple weeks ago um, Peter Strzok on the show who talked about how in-depth uh, the, the investigation into Hillary Clinton was. They had the best team on it. They were using all sorts of resources. So I don't know where this is going. I, again, I, you know me. I, Durham has nothing. And I'm not sure why he was looking into the Hillary email uh, case, which has been closed 800 times. But that's where we are. And... From CNN, Michael Caputo, the top spokesman of the Department of Health and Human Services, Kremlin agent, uh, who recently began a two-month medical leave, has been diagnosed with metastatic head and neck cancer. This is according to a spokesman for the Caputo family. Uh, After undergoing surgery last week at the National Center Institute in Bethesda, doctors diagnosed Caputo with squamous cell carcinoma, a metastatic head and neck cancer which originated in his throat. Caputo is currently resting at home in western New York with his family, where they will decide the next steps in his care. Last week, HHS announced Caputo's leave of absence from his post to focus on health, the health and well-being of his family. And Caputo said in a statement last week he planned to undergo necessary screenings for a lymphatic issue, a lymphatic issue discovered last week. Now, he said initially he thought he was losing weight for months from a new exercise and diet program. Quote, instead of taking the time to see my doctor, I failed to do so. And he added that um, he neglected during the pandemic to get health, the health care he long needed. His temporary departure began the day after he apologized for a conspiracy theory-laden rant he made uh, against career government scientists on Facebook, in which he accused them of sedition and working to undermine Trump. So that's what's happening in the world of Mike Caputo. 
Uh, and now um, this story here, Adam Schiff sent a warning to Republicans in the Trump administration uh, last night on The Rachel Maddow Show. Let's listen to that clip. Uh, this is a moment that I would say to any Republican of good conscience working in the administration, it is time for you to resign. It is time for you to resign. If you have been debating about whether you can continue to serve the country by serving this president, you can't. It is time to resign. And I would say to those who have been on the sidelines, maintaining a dignified silence, who have served in the administration in the past, you cannot maintain your silence any longer. You have to maintain dignified speech now. You have to speak out. Do not wait until after the election. Do not wait until we have the chaos the president wants after the election, when he seeks to, as he said, get rid of the ballots. Because if you do wait, knowing what is to come, you will share some of the burden of responsibility for that chaos that comes. So this is a time for all good people of conscience to speak uh, and to act uh, to preserve our democracy, because there is no longer any question about this president's intentions. Uh, his autocratic intentions are as clear as the writing on the wall. So I am glad you're spending time focused on this, because I think uh, no one will be able to say uh, they did not see this coming when he has so clearly telegraphed his intent now. So that's pretty powerful. Um, seems like the wheels are coming off the bus. And Adam Schiff is saying, resign now. I think things are about to get a lot worse for the Trump administration. And finally, today we learned from Politico a couple days ago, actually, that Nina Turner, that's the campaign co-chair for Bernie Sanders in 2020, is starting her own public affairs firm in partnership with Mercury Public Affairs. And that's been stuck in my head, rolling around for a day or so now. So I did a search for Mercury in my podcast script database and found this from the Mueller She Wrote podcast that aired December 9th, 2018. Let's listen. Uh, Justice Department prosecutors have begun interviewing witnesses related to the Podesta Group and the Mercury Public Affairs Group. It's not that Podesta. Oh, <laughs> different Podesta. Got it, got it. Um, this is all related to Tony Podesta and Vin Weber, who did not register as foreign agents for Ukrainian lobbying work done on behalf of Manafort. The Mercury Public Affairs Group was hired by Manafort and funded by Russia to help clean up the image of Russian-backed Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. So our reporting was in December 2018. Then the New York Times wrote two months later, in February, that the Mueller team was interviewing witnesses about the flow of foreign money to the Mercury Group and two other firms that Manafort had recruited to help elect Russian-backed opposition bloc party separatist Yanukovych eight years ago. That's the firm Nina Turner is partnering with. You'll also remember Bernie Sanders' campaign chair for 2016, Tad Devine, also worked for Manafort to the same end. So while Devine was preaching to get money out of politics, he was cashing in for a Russian-backed separatist candidate. I'll let you draw your own conclusions about the role of spoilers funded by Russia in American politics. Uh, we'll be right back with the Flip It Blue segment, where I'll speak with the Democratic candidate for Louisiana's 3rd District, Rob Anderson. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Daily Beans. Recently, I was looking for the perfect gift to get my friend something unique and personal. And thanks to the podcast, I discovered PaintYourLife.com. 
You can have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from a photo. This is such a great idea. I know you're probably thinking that must be really expensive, but I was very pleasantly surprised to find out PaintYourLife.com has paintings that are actually very affordable, and the quality is incredible. I highly recommend it if you want to give a truly meaningful gift. You have to try PaintYourLife.com. You get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. The user-friendly platform lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Such a quick and easy process. Then get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. You send any picture of yourself or your kids or a pet or a place, and you can combine photos if you need to into one painting. And it makes a perfect birthday gift or anniversary or wedding gift. It's meaningful and personal, and it can be cherished forever. I love their service. It's so simple and efficient. And when the finished product arrived, I was blown away by the quality of this painting. The artist really captured the essence for my friend. So at PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded. Guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word BEANS to 64000. That's BEANS to 64000. Again, text the word BEANS to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time to flip it blue. I'm And joining us today is Rob Anderson, Democratic candidate for the U.S. House for Louisiana's 3rd District. And he's running against Republican incumbent Clay Higgins, a thrice-divorced car salesman turned cop, uh, joining us today. Rob Anderson, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Uh, You go by AG? Is that what you prefer? AG or Allison, either is fine. Okay. Uh, Well, when you called me, you you said AG, so I just want to, I like... (laughs) Just making people comfortable. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's great to be on. It's always good to be able to uh, share the message and reach more people. And, uh, you know, longtime follower of your, your Twitter feed there. Um, so big fan and happy to be here. Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate that. I've been following you as well and your career here. And first, I want to talk about Louisiana's third district. It's such an interesting district. Can you tell us about it? Sure. It, it really is, actually. Uh, we have... Uh, 25% of the nation's oil and gas goes through our state, and a large part of that refining and uh, and uh, petroleum production and petrochemical is in the southwest portion thereof, which is where we are in the third district. If you think of Louisiana as a boot, we're the heel, um, as as the locals say. Um, so we we have that in our district in the main uh, big cities: uh, Morgan City, uh, Lake Charles, Lafayette. And then we have a lot of rural area in between. I live myself in a town called De Quincey, which is in the upper part of the district and only has about 4,000 residents. And in between, there's a lot of farmland. Uh, Louisiana produces a lot of rice, uh, crawfish, of course, uh, soybeans, sugarcane. We have a very, very diverse field. It's like 70% rural and 30% urban. And uh you get all walks of life, but there's a lot of work, and not to mention the fishing industry. Sorry, uh, we're on the Gulf, so and we also have the fishing industry. So we have a very eclectic mix of uh, voters here. There's no singular profile that you can describe. Uh, Louisiana's third district. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it is 
diverse, interesting. There's just so many things going on there. And I think what you are proposing on your platform is so important for Louisianans there. So let's talk about these three staples of your platform, which sure. are healthcare, education, and infrastructure. Um, healthcare is one of the top issues right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic and uh, people are, the, the Trump administration is fighting right now to gut, uh, dismantle, Ooh. and get rid of the Affordable Care Act, which would kick millions, tens of millions off of their insurance. And I was hoping you could tell us your plan for expanding timely access to affordable quality health care for Louisianans. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, the, the three uh, portions of the platform, it's really four, because if you look at a pyramid, it looks like a triangle in two dimensions. But when you go in three dimensions, it's got four sides. And a big thing uh, for that here, uh, for us here in Louisiana, of course, is uh, coastal erosion, climate change. We have to acknowledge that climate change is a real thing. So those four things are uh, all part of the platform. But uh, specific, specifically regarding healthcare, I agree with you. Uh, the Trump administration is scheduled in the Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken, November 10th, which is uh, part of the reason they want to rush through a uh, a Supreme Court nomination during an election cycle, never mind an election year. So um, healthcare in Louisiana expanding it, which John Bell Edwards did, our Democratic governor, of course, uh, did uh, when he first took office in 2015. It immediately uh, boosted the state's budget, which he was able to balance after Bobby Jindal and disastrous eight years of GOP policies <laughs> that left us, you know, a bankrupt. And I think we were a billion under, you know, an over budget. Uh, when John Bell first took office. So he expanded Medicaid, 500,000 people. And we're not a big state. It's only 4.7 million or so reside in the entire state of Louisiana, 786,000 of which are in my district. Um, 500,000 people uh, had health care that did not have before. And it's amazing that there's a block like that that could be helped with just such a singular approach as everybody deserves health care. It's just such a novel idea down here. Um, they're so ingrained from the, the mass media in the area, I think, because oil and gas does does control politics in Louisiana. Make no mistake. They do. They're the chief donors. Uh, people get into office to support the oil and gas industry. So, you know, not taking corporate donations is a big part of why people are starting to listen to us. Like, look, we're really not being paid by industry. We're being we're here for the people. And that's who we're going to represent. So, yeah, everybody in Louisiana should have health care. And I'm looking forward to going to Washington and working on whatever uh, title they give it to get us towards universal health care. <laughs> you know, it was mark marketed as Medicare for all by Bernie, which is, you know, it turned him into bad phrase down here. But universal health care, you know, uh, nationalized health services, they call it in the UK. Everybody should have health care. And I do believe that the preamble to the Constitution lays it out when it says promote the general welfare. I take that to mean in 2020, which is quite a different time than when the Constitution was ratified in 1789, everybody deserves health care. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm a veteran. I get free health care and I got free college. And now I, I contribute massively to, to society and have you know, been able to live with you without those worries. And I, I think everyone should have that. And speaking of education, uh, let's sure. talk to... Uh, let's talk about um, education, because you want to talk about debt relief from high interest student loans, for example. Um, so yeah. what, what are your what are your proposals there? OK, well, um, first, uh, as you just uh, said, when you were uh, wrapping up on health care. Um, yes, 
uh, you, uh, the the military, uh, which branch did you serve in? I was in the Navy. The Navy. Oh, just like my dad. He did 20 years. Thank you for your service. Um, the Navy invested in you as a citizen of the United States. And, and as you said, pay for your health care and pay for your education. And why why aren't we investing in all of our citizens if they want to produce back? You know, we, we, we're, a, you know, a consumer economy. And it behooves the United States to have the most successful consumers are, does it not? It all improves the market. Uh, so that just to finish up on healthcare, education is extraordinarily complicated, as we know. Um, it's a bad idea, first of all, to have Betsy DeVos heading the department. So it started at the federal level. Um, somebody who has never attended a public school, and I think she only very reluctantly walks into public schools uh, when, you know, on her tour of how to defund public schools and promote charter schools on the national level. Um, in Louisiana, of course, it's even more complicated. We do have some extraordinary success success stories here, uh, such as in Bossier, which I think is in the, like the one of the, I think it's the third rated school district in the country, basically. Um, but what we don't have is equal investment in all of our students statewide. Uh, it's based on property taxes and it's local municipalities and of course poorer districts. And we have a lot of we're not a rich state. They're rich districts, but a lot of it is rural, poor, working class. And of course, their property taxes are lower and therefore their kids get less for education. So they're kind of behind the eight ball before they even start. You know, there's just no money. And I'd love to see, uh, you know, a federal program that addresses that, that equalizes not spend less on Bossier, but spend more on, you know, here in Crowley or uh, parts of Lafayette or Morgan City. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, that's the first thing is to give everybody uh, equal investment. We're talking about investment in adults with the healthcare. I believe in investing in the kids, too, but in the real way. You know, subsidized daycare is a big one that goes with education. You know, people think of Social Security safety nets and the ones we've already had. We take for granted and don't realize that that's shared revenue and that's how you do it, like roads. That's just taken for granted. But you talk about healthcare, people cry that, you know, you're trying to turn us into Cuba um, or, or, or Russia or China. You know what I mean? The, the buzzword they use. Yeah, they, they don't realize that they don't realize that we have to pay for health care, whether we do it by paying for emergency room visits that right. are never paid for or whether we pay for it through premiums or whether we pay for it through the government, which would be cheaper because it would lower the costs of actual health care services. Right. Because, yes, one, you uh, as a primary uh, you know purchaser of anything, as you see in the free market, you get to negotiate costs and you can negotiate them down. So, yeah, absolutely. Healthcare is an investment in people. And as you said, we're already spending the money. It's just in several different areas. And instead of being able to invest in preventative medicine, which is shown to work better than reactive medicine, um, you know, wellness checks for kids and all that is, again, an investment in the individual that pays off in the long run with a healthier, uh, with a healthier society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, talking about... Um also, debt relief. Uh, these high interest rates loan, uh, high interest rate loans for college students are putting oh my God. college yeah. students <laughs> at a disadvantage. Uh, and and why are banks, private banks, and the government making money off of the education right. of of our college students? Right. That's one that obviously um, you know crafted basically from Elizabeth Warren when she ran, a great policy writer. Uh, and that's one that the younger generation or parents of younger generation uh, members 
who listen to their kids. So I had to put that qualifier in there. There's a lot of us that are parents, but some of us don't listen to our kids. It's like, hey, you know, my own son just graduated last year, got an engineering degree. No, thank goodness. So he got a lot of grants and and what have you. But he did still end up with debt because, you know, it cost him $173,000 for a four-year engineering degree. It's a great investment, right? Go into engineering. Sure. But uh, if he'd had to, all of that to pay back, 173000 can you imagine with interest rates, that's basically a ball and chain around his neck, you know, for 30 years. It's an incredible uh, impediment to success after you've had kids do what you want them to do, you know, go out into fields that really need good people of good minds. We always need uh, educated uh, you know, professional workers, doctors, lawyers, engineers, that's absolutely a crucial investment. Now, my working class pro, uh, platform also uh, pushes, of course, trade schools, which I think are a great alternative if you're in a rural district. Not everybody can be a doctor, but not everybody can be a driller either. I was one of those. And drillers aren't necessarily dumb. <laughs> you know, they're just crafty about their trade. Um, and may not have read up on world history. That's the misconception about blue collars that they're dumb jobs. They're not. Some people like to work with their hands. That's why I worked in construction for 18 years. Uh, before that, I worked in IT for you know Wells Fargo and Merrill Lynch. So you know I've I've done both sides of the of the collars. You know both collars, blue and white. Um, yeah, student loan debt relief, uh, which has been recommended by many people, and of course I would advocate for it and, and co-sponsor the bill as soon as I got to Washington, if if given the opportunity. Uh, isn't just four-year degrees. It's two-year degrees to get people uh, into welding programs, into you know big equipment operation programs, boots on the ground kind of jobs, and and four-year degrees so that we can send our kids out in the world to succeed uh, without giving them an extra. Uh, because as you said, the profit you're profiteering basically off of what a kid has to do to enjoy any degree of success, some sort of training, even if it is blue collar. In the old days when unions were strong, uh, somebody could, you know, even drop out of high school, get into an apprenticeship program, put in the time in a union, and of course, learn welding and, you know, plumbing, electrical work. Uh, Some of these trades are still strong, but I think we need to reinvest in the, the working class and the professional classes. It's not one or the other. It, it really is holistic. Yeah. Um, so that's that's part of education to me, too. And that's what we preach down here. It's not much. I mean, we have some great schools down here. Don't get me wrong. LSU is here. You know, Tulane's over in New Orleans. Uh, you know, we do have some four-year programs, but then we have the brain drain, which is why I, I designed my platform as kind of a pyramid. Because the brain drain leads into, you know, all these kids graduate not only with enormous debt, but they're in a relatively poor state that they can't find work. So they take those degrees and they go to, you know, Colorado, Seattle, California, they go where the jobs are. And so, you know, we're stuck in this perpetual cycle of creating huge amounts of debt uh, for our young people. And if they are successful, you can only hope that they can find work here in district at whatever they got their degree in. You know, of course we always need doctors and lawyers, but you know, how many software engineering companies, somebody gets a software engineering degree, wants to design video games, is going to go to California where the industry is in that business. So we have a big brain drain here. Uh, and that is a problem. It's tracked for many years. I'm not blaming any administration for it. 
It's just that I, I do think part of the whole package is, you know, making the district more desirable for alternative industries other than just what we have now. There's plenty of room down here. It doesn't just have to be oil and gas. That's our point. You know, we want high-tech firms too. That's all. Keep the brain drain. Keep everybody here. And, of course, everybody who buys property, then you're paying taxes. And lo and behold, you know, your district becomes it thrives. It becomes successful. Mm-hmm. And you're funding and you're funding the schools with the property taxes. And and, you know, right. you're, you're so right, because you this platform would create so many jobs that in both of these sectors. Right. The four year program stop the brain drain. And it would put those vocational and technical degrees to work because of your uh, other Absolutely. other staple here, which is infrastructure. Uh, you know, this yeah. would allow for both high paying jobs and blue collar jobs, repairing the infrastructure that's been crumbling under Republican leadership. Can you talk really quickly? We've got about another minute left. I'd like to hear about your infrastructure plan. OK, well, infrastructure is kind of the key to the whole thing. But as you see, it, it it's all connected. So, yes, you have to have good roads, good water, good air. That's all infrastructure. And it, uh, you know, most of ours had a 50 year lifespan that it ended 40 years ago. Our own Calcasieu River Bridge, the I-10 bridge, and I-10 runs from Florida to California. It's a big corridor down here. Uh, our I-10 bridge, they started talking about replacing it when Reagan was president, and it's still nothing changes. So this is a, a bridge that's, you know, 6% efficiency out of 100 rating. It's ready to collapse at any moment, and it's horrifying to have to drive across it every day. So infrastructure is key because that will attract good business, too. They want to know that they have rail yards to ship their goods or, you know, good roads and good airports to bring in and out their engineers. Infrastructure is key to the whole package. Yeah, absolutely. And all of these things, your pyramid, they all are connected. And I, yeah. I, I can't wait um, to help support you and your campaign. And I was hoping you could tell our listeners where they can contribute, not just financially, but also volunteer to help your campaign, text, postcard writing, et cetera. Absolutely. And thank you for that opportunity. Yes. My, my website is easy, robandersonforcongress.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the website, there is a volunteer sign-up sheet. Join the Rob Mob, the hashtag Rob Mob. That's from Twitter. Uh, you join the Rob Mob, and we work with various uh, groups on, uh, you know, postcards for voters and uh, text banking, phone banking. Uh, all of us in the Democratic Party, a lot of us know each other, so all of us share kind of the same resources of uh, how to help volunteers maximize their their effort. And of course, the donation page is there too. We are completely funded by people. We appreciate every donation. And uh, that's all under robandersonforcongress.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Democratic candidate for Louisiana's 3rd District, Rob Anderson. Thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for having me on. Everybody stay with us for the interview. Coming up next, we have the writer and director of The Comey Rule premiering on Showtime this Sunday. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by our sponsor, CarShield. These days, computers run everything. Everything is a botnet. Um, My car is run by computers. And that's the new normal. From electronically controlled transmissions and touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors. I cannot fix any of that myself. Neither can you. So when something breaks, it can cost a fortune to fix. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. And I don't like dealing with tech car-related stuff. So, uh, you know, I really, really love CarShield. 
uh, you know, computer car, car repairs can cost a fortune, and they can take forever, and they affect, impact like all the different systems in the car because everything's connected. So that's why I have CarShield. What I love the most about their service is that they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. I love customization. You know that. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is a must right now. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repairs on computers, GPS, systems, electronics, and more. There are no long-term contracts or commitments, and CarShield gives you the options that others won't. Like, you get to choose your mechanic or the dealership to work on your car, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and rental car coverage while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers to drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repairs. So call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me for the interview today, writer, director of The Comey Rule, which is going to premiere on Showtime this weekend, starting Sunday, the 27th and going through the 28th. I'm really excited to welcome my new best friend, everyone's new best friend, (laughs) Billy Ray. Billy, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled for this to drop. This is going to maybe answer our long-awaited questions that we've had about, uh, you know, Mr. Comey and how much of a homie he is. But first, I wanted to talk (laughs) to you about this incredible cast you've put together. Can you tell us about this cast? Well, I've worked on a lot of films before, and I've never had an experience like this where every actor who was on that set was there because they felt it was their civic duty. Uh, I've never experienced that before. People felt this was an important story to tell. They wanted to be a part of it. Um, there was an incredible camaraderie on the set, uh, I think, as a result of that. Jeff Daniels was always our first choice for Comey. Um, he just brings a lot of credibility and, of course, a monster amount of talent. Um, and when we initially went out to Brendan, he said no. Uh, and we, we sulked and scrambled for about two months trying to figure out someone who might be comparable and then happily he changed his mind and came back hmm. and that's brendan gleason yes mm-hmm. moody from the Harry potter series gonna play trump donald trump uh and he's quite spectacular in the part uh, yeah I, and i have to say i've seen some of these cuts and he it's truly truly amazing and one of my favorite actors of all time holly hunter is going to play sally <laughs> yates she's remarkable i mean that that was one where um, the entire time I was writing, I was thinking, boy, it'd be great to get Holly Hunter um, to play this part. And I, I, I had never met her before. I was just a fan like you were. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went after her and she said yes. And, you know, then, you know, Michael Kelly playing Andy McCabe and and Scoot McNary playing Rod Rosenstein and uh, Jennifer Ely playing Comey's wife, Patrice. Um, everybody we went after said yes. They just all felt like they wanted to be a part of this team. And that was really gratifying. Mm. All right, so now let's jump into this to the actual story that's going on here because we have long asked uh, many questions about Comey's motivations, and I'm sure that this this um, this miniseries addresses a lot of that. But I wanted to specifically know uh, about some of the stuff that went on at the New York 
field office, the FBI field office in New York. It's been under inspector general investigation. That report was due out over a year ago. We haven't seen it. We know that Julie Giuliani and DeGeneva went on Fox News and, and bragged that they had this big October surprise. And then lo and behold, bam, Comey reopens the Hillary email investigation just, I think, 11 days prior to the election. And I'm assuming that that is well covered in this in this piece. It is absolutely covered, and it was a huge factor in um, in the pressures that were surrounding Comey that were impacting that decision. Um, you know, the New York field office was riddled with Hillary haters, and many of them had uh, connections to uh, to Rudy, and and Rudy used that. Uh, and it's my personal belief that had Comey not sent that letter. 11 days before the election, that uh, the news of uh, the reopening of the Hillary investigation would have been leaked anyway. Uh, Rudy was was teasing it on Fox News uh, that night, as a matter of fact. So I think that the FBI, had they not uh, sent that letter, would have both looked sneaky and and ineffective. Uh, I don't think Comey really had a choice. Um, The other thing to remember, of course, is that... um, Comey sent that letter to eight members of Congress. He didn't publish it. It was then leaked on Twitter uh, by the former congressman from uh, Utah. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? And and of course we know that uh, because well, I I tended to uh, tend to occur uh, uh, to concur with you that that he was pressured and had he he was Comey was trying to get out ahead of these leaks from the New York FBI field office if he if he didn't do it somebody else was gonna and he wanted to control that message. Now when I talked to yeah. uh, Peter Strzok, uh, who we interviewed uh, just a few days back, he said yeah mm-hmm. he said yeah I think I think you're onto something there but he's but he also added I think Comey would have done the same thing regardless so. Um, it's just a very interesting dynamic because on one hand you have Co- this character Comey, and I can't wait to see the portrayal by Jeff Daniels. But you have this character who is, uh, you know, equal justice under the law and do the right thing and and make the hard choices. But you also have somebody who's kind of a like a boy scout and sort of got a little <laughs> bit of an ego, right? So it's it's this interesting character, and what a what a joy it's going to be to watch. Um, this this character unfold. Everybody, uh, everybody who experienced the 2016 election believes that they know what happened. Um, they saw it on CNN or they saw it on MSNBC or they saw it on Fox News or they heard it on Sinclair Radio. Um, but they now believe that they know what went on. The whole point of making the series is to show you what actually did go on. Yeah. Um, what happened in those rooms that we didn't, we did not have access to as the public, what, what was going on at the DOJ, what was going on at the FBI, what went into these decisions, you know, what the series asks you to do essentially is to be James Comey for five minutes. Here are the factors you're dealing with. Here are the pressures. Here are the constraints. Here are the political realities. What would you do? Um, and it is not an apology for Comey. It is just an exploration of, of the reality he was living in in those unbelievably pressure-packed decisions. You know, one thing that I think Americans tend to do, and it's a mistake that's easy to make, is we think about the FBI as an institution, when in fact the FBI is not an institution. The FBI is a group of people who are stewards of an institution. 
it's not the building that makes decisions. It's the people inside the building. And those decisions reflect the personalities of those people. I mean, the, the, if you need evidence of that, look at the United States Post Office. It's a very different animal when it's run by Louis DeJoy than if it's run by an actual human being. And the FBI absolutely reflected the values of James Comey as these decisions were getting made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I think that that has a lot to do with why uh, everybody was uh, so shocked and taken aback and 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 frankly saddened by his firing. Uh, and of course, we know uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders went to, on TV and said, "Oh, I've gotten so many calls from people who support his firing and blah blah blah," and then had to go and tell Mueller under oath, "I made that shit up." So. We have right. all these different conflicting uh, stories. You're right. And now we're going to get to see what went on in those rooms behind closed doors. Now, here's a question for you. Rosenstein. It was about halfway through mm-hmm. the investigation. We found out he was actually a dick. So because <laughs> we thought he was standing up for the investigation, taking bullets, you know, taking taking ones. We called him Snoop Dagg, like me and Asha Rangappa, former FBI. We called him Snoop Dagg, and and you know he was he was taken taken one for the team. Turns out he was trying to land the plane, and he narrowed the scope, and he didn't tell the FBI that that Mueller wasn't doing counterintelligence, and vice versa. So it was the shell game. Is is in in your series here Rosenstein villain, hero, or just narrow shouldered wispy jerk? Which was <laughs> Rosenstein in this film? Uh, I don't think you could describe uh, our portrayal of Rod Rosenstein as heroic. Um, uh, I think you could describe it as very fair. Good. And um, I, I have now come to the conclusion, having learned more about him since we finished shooting, that I probably took it too easy on him. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of things we learned after the fact, you know? Yep. Um, I took it easy on Bill Barr when he was first appointed, for example. So, so did everybody that I knew in... in the Department of Justice and everybody who was former Department of Justice, they all said to me, no, he's he's conservative, but he's an institutionalist and he will respect the rule of law. And they're mm-hmm. all wrong. I specifically took Chuck Rosenberg's word because yep. I figure so I take Chuck. I take Chuck Rosenberg's word on everything. Uh, and yep. he was he was also um, n- unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> but yep. we all were. Um, so there's that aspect as well. And. Uh, is there anything, I mean, this, this premieres here on Sunday, this mm-hmm. Sunday, is there anything you can tell us about it? Any Easter eggs you can give us any clues or anything like that without spoiling anything? Oof. Uh, not in a specific way. No showtime would kill me. Um, <laughs> what I can tell you is, and this is not an Easter egg. It's just a, a sort of a creative intention. The show for me is about how heartbreaking it can be to be a public servant. Everybody that's depicted in this show is what Donald Trump would call the deep state. But they're actually just American citizens who work for the American government and who care about it a lot and care about the rule of law and care about democracy and care about justice and care about specifically the apolitical intentions of the FBI and uh, more broadly, the Department of Justice. And they um, they work their tails off every day to. To, uh, to uphold all those values. And every one of them is under threat right now. And this series is an exploration of how that happened, told through the completely emotional, 
human and personal lens of the people who are fighting the power. Well, I know I'm going to be glued to Showtime uh, on Sunday, this, Thank this you. coming Sunday. Me too. Uh, the 27th. I mean, you know, we spent I spent three years putting together a podcast about the Mueller investigation and Comey was in large, a large, large part of, of that investigation uh, and the obstruction of justice, obstructions of justice, if we yep. want to go plural, <laughs> um, that, yep. that occurred. And the Comey memos and the Comey five, which are the, the five people that Comey told about his memos, who ended up either being shoved into human resources, put behind a plant or completely fired or tried to be indicted yep. as Andy McCabe's case. So we've been covering this very, very, um, very closely. And I, I know our listeners are going to be just tuned in. Well, you know what I think? I, I, the only guy to add to that is um, I really believe that America is going to be examining this four year period for decades, if not generations to come. I think we're going to starting uh, on November 3rd. I think we are going to start asking ourselves some very hard questions about who we are as a people, what we have allowed to become of our democracy. Um, were we willing participants? in something so hugely destructive and ugly? And if so, why? Um, and I'm hoping that this series can be uh, an inflection point in that conversation. Mm. Um, the idea was not to do a documentary, it was to do something that was dramatic and compelling and harrowing and personal and oddly hopeful so that people would actually watch it and then maybe start to ask themselves those questions. Yeah. And Billy, I have to say, um, one of the things when asked why Mueller did bother to do an investigation if he couldn't indict the president, he said, we need to get the facts while they're fresh in everyone's mind and before yep. evidence is destroyed. And that's what you've done with this series. That's why I started the podcast on the Mueller investigation was I wanted it to just be, a, you know, a day by day documentation of what was going on, because you're right. This four year period is going to be looked at historically for a very long time. And I'm glad that you've got this down on celluloid. And I think we'll all be enjoying it this weekend. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, everybody, writer, director, new best friend, uh, Billy Ray. Uh, everybody, please, please, you, you do not want to miss the Comey rule. It, it premieres Sunday, the 27th on Showtime. Hashtag. Is it hashtag the Comey rule or Comey rule? Yes. Hashtag the Comey rule. The Comey rule. Everybody just follow that. Check out what's happening. And while you're watching it, use that hashtag. Tweet out. Tweet out to us. Tag us at Muller She Wrote, at Daily Beans Pod. I've, it's been really great to talk to you, Billy Ray. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, everybody stick around right after this. We'll have the good news with Amy Carrero. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Daily Beans. We're proud to have the support of our latest sponsor, The New Yorker. I've been a fan of The New Yorker for so long. As a kid, I remember picking up my first copy and being drawn to the art and the designs and the cover and the cartoons. The New Yorker has always been the best of the best in print and online. The New Yorker stands apart for its commitment to truth and accuracy, the quality writing and compelling reporting storytelling. New Yorker is considered by many to be one of the most influential publications in the world. The New Yorker's weekly print issues and daily online articles cover a wide range of topics with something for everyone. Politics, news, international affairs, climate change and the environment, pop culture and the arts, fiction, food, humor, and of course, the cartoons. The New Yorker has become the daily digital destination for news and cultural coverage, publishing to 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. In addition to that, you can use their apps, read from the online archive dating all the way back to 1925, solve crossword puzzles, and more. 
You can do this in print and online digital issues. The New Yorker has content from the best writers in America today. A couple of my favorite contributors include the television critic Emily Nussbaum, who won the Pulitzer for criticism in 2016, and Doreen St. Felix, who covers the highs and lows of today's culture and won the Ellie Award for columns and commentary in 2019. A 12-week subscription for just $6 includes home delivery of the print edition each week. You get the print edition and unlimited access to the New Yorker's website. That's a 50% discount. Uh, For a limited time, you can get 12 weeks for just $6. That's a savings of 50%. Plus, listeners of our show will receive an exclusive tote bag for free. I love tote bags. Reusable. Go to the grocery store. So go to newyorker.com slash dailybeans. That's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R dot com slash dailybeans to get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag. That's newyorker.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. And it's Friday, which means I am joined by the incomparable, amazing, wonderful Amy Carrero. Amy, how are you? Hey, I'm good. For all, anyone who cares, which is probably just one or two of you. Hi, Mom. Um, I am out of quarantine in Canada, and I have to say it's real nice to be out and about in the world again. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> she's the only one who cares. She was sent, she's been sending me like a like a daily, like eight more days, you know, like fucking oh. two more hours. And so everyone's just like, get you're over like, yourself. You're like, I didn't notice until you kept watching the clock for <laughs> me. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It was not on the top of my list. Ooh, I'm so ready to read this good news. Uh. I know. We need it. We need it to cap this week off. It's been another week. It's uh, the only way I can <sighs> say it. It's just, you, it's just say the word week and put some stank on it. But we week. have our listener uh, submitted good news and confessions and corrections. If you want to submit any good news stories, personal or political, or if you have any confessions for you know stuff that you're doing in quarantine, or if you want to make any corrections, since I'm not a real lawyer, uh, or I don't even <laughs> pretend to be a fake one, uh, you just go to dailybeanspod.com and click contact, and uh, there you go. And then you could play one on TV. To... I could play one on TV. You're you right. Could, yeah, yeah. You could definitely do it. If I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just consult from the wings, right? Yes, exactly. That's better. You get better pay. Okay, <laughs> shall we start? Yeah, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I'm so excited. The first one is from Anonymous. She, her. First of all, this is her saying. This is her talking about. Okay, I'm going to get into character. First of all, I'm petty as fuck. That's not my favorite character trait, but it is what it is. I had a plan to do a 100-day countdown to the election on my window, which faces a busy street in the city for years. It's one of the reasons I picked the apartment in late 2016. (laughs) I wanted to keep it simple, just the numbers. A slow but direct reminder. The only problem was that I knew eventually we'd I'd have to put 45 on my window and fuck that. I mean, what if someone walked by and thought I supported him? Gross. But what, but what to do? Skipping a day felt wrong. Adding something like sucks at the end felt <laughs> off for this project too. I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Arguably too much time. But still, I didn't have any idea other than endure the day and try to keep my rage down. Then 
With 46 days until the election, I got the news of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I spent the night making an RBG sign. The next day, instead of 45, I put that up instead. Resumed at 44. It felt right. Fed into my pettiness, but also didn't. Among so many things, her last gift to me was saving me from the horror of anyone possibly thinking I was supporting that orange menace. And scene. Oh, that's really good. Leila, I know it's so well written. And I love the fact that it's one of the reasons that she picked the apartment in 2016. Yes. Oh, that is a level of petty I aspire to. Yeah. We used to have, when I was in college, we lived in the dorm, like when I went to college for real the first time. And uh, <laughs> and we're in the dorm and the, the folks next to us would put like Republican and Christian stuff on their window. They'd paint oh, it real big on their window. Uh, and we faced the student union, right? Thousands of students every day. And so we would always have some oh. sort of like retort. Um, oh, that's so good. So because we were, if you for looking at the windows, they were on the left and we were just next to them on the right. So it would, you know, uh-huh. you read it left to right. We would have oh, some great. sort of comeback. And I, I think the only one I remember doing was when they put Jesus loves you in their window really big. And we mm-hmm. put, but he's on the rebound. And... I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) Did they ever catch on? Were they ever like, who are these bitches living next door? Well, they left a note on, you know how everyone had those tiny whiteboards for messages on their dorm (laughs) doors? They leave a note like, it's okay. Jesus loves you anyway. And I was like, oh, thanks. So they were actually very kind. (gasps) Oh, wow. They didn't even hit you back with it. No. (laughs) We were just dicks. (laughs) Whatever, man. Everyone deserves a few, like, dickish college years, all right? It builds right, character. So, that's what reminded me of 45 sucks. Like, that's what that's it really reminded good. me of. Uh, next up, from Melanie, pronouns she and her. Heading home from work last Wednesday, I drove into my grocery store's parking lot and pulled into a parking space. I noticed that in the parking space next to mine, I saw what looked like a dead rat in the middle of the parking space. Upon closer investigation, however, I saw it was a tiny baby (gasps) kitten. (gasps) I made a kissing sound and it looked up at me. I was worried it was hurt, but I immediately realized it was just abandoned. So, of course, I scooped it up, put it safely in my car, did my shopping, left my contact number with the manager, and then headed to the tractor supply to get some kitten formula and a tiny bottle. My daughter and I brought her to our Humane Society and are now proud foster parents. They told us uh, she's a female, just two weeks old. We've had her for a week now and she's thriving. I'm still baffled uh, to think of how any that tiny little baby found herself in a parking space at a grocery store. But Mother Universe had the perfect person pull right next to that baby. We already have three dogs and a cat, which is more than a single mom's income can manage. But love is a funny thing, ain't it? My five-year-old granddaughter named her Lila. My 10-year-old dog, Isla, uh, has been licking Lila (laughs) clean several times a day. It takes a village. We decided we will adopt her from the shelter. Ah, failed foster parents. Everyone, please support your local animal shelters. Their work is angelic. Thank you for your good news segments. We all need to be reminded that there's an enormous amount of it out here. And, of course, keep up all the good work of Daily Beans. You're helping save our republic. Thank you. But look at this picture. There's a little... This kitty cat. Oh, my God. And look, look, she's got a little bikini. Lila has a little bikini on. Do you see it? (laughs) 
she sure does. And, and the best thing is that in the picture, she's got these like gleaming eyes. They're just like, just sparkly and so cute. And then there's a little bottle next to her baby. So sweet. And it looks like she's got thumbs. It looks like she's got thumbs. Like she's polydactyl. She's got the little white toes. Oh my God. She's so cute. This is a cute cat. We will definitely put this photo in our newsletter. You must subscribe if you don't if you aren't subscribed you have to now you just have to just for just thing. for this photo to be honest i mean it's mm-hmm. worth it what's a three dollar photo okay okay <laughs> okay the next one bit of good news well it's a wait a minute as a part confession part good news okay uh from amber pronouns she her she writes part confession part good news mostly thank you that's nice my confession <clears throat> For years, I'm talking like 35 out of my 38 years in life, I wasn't into politics. I hated the back and forth, the lies, the infighting it caused. I dreaded all the stupid mailers that I would get, that would get sent, the phone calls, everything about it. But yes, I have voted. My U.S. history teacher in high school gave us a voter registration form on the day I turned 18. During the Trump unpresidency, I have gotten more and more fed up with the State of the Union, his inc- encouraging... De- his encouraging division of the United States and people blindly following him. I came upon Mueller, she wrote, back in the kitchen days and have been here ever since. I love the leguminati and the happy hours and the generosity of everyone. Because of this amazing group and podcast, I have volunteered to write letters for Vote Forward and to be a uh, to be member support for Move On, which is something I did not ever think I would do. So thank you all. Ugh. Awesome, Amber. That's wonderful. Back in the kitchen days. <sighs> I wish I wish I'd known you back in the kitchen days. I feel like oh, I feel like those were down and dirty days. They were down and dirty days for real. I feel like you were talking into like a can or something. <laughs> like not even a real microphone. <laughs> we're bringing you the news from the kitchen. Hey. Out of my Campbell's soup can. <laughs> Extra, 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 extra. Read all about it. Mueller's investigating <laughs> Russia. Yeah, it was very <laughs> cool. I'd pay to see that show. <laughs> and then, you know, some swing music comes in. Doom, 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 doom. Hey, everybody, yeah. see? We're going to get him. Okay, uh, that's enough news for us. Um, that could be a spinoff of this show. I'm not even kidding. That could be a spinoff <laughs> podcast. It's scripted, of course, but, you know. <laughs> It would be so good. And we could even have Mueller, like someone act as Mueller, come on. And then you could have phone calls with him. And, and you could like call the operator and be like, mm, circle four five. Mueller, please. Eight seven two oh, Let me put you through. And then like I-O-D-E-N-T-I-O-Dent. And you could, we could have the I-O-Dent radio. Oh, it's so good. I mean, look at this. Somebody hire us to write this show. Oh, Lord. Anyway, thank you, Amber. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad you're doing that. Um, it takes a village, right? As we learned from an earlier confession. Or good news story, excuse Indeed. me. Um, next up, from Anonymous. No pronouns given. Hey, this is the Anonymous who submitted the boss birthday present news a little bit ago. Uh, the present was a Lego set of the scene in Jurassic Park where the Raptors <laughs> try breaking into the computer lab. It was thoughtful because previous to this, my boss had, uh, and I had discussed our mutual love for Jurassic Park, and we still make references to the movie and the employee group chat. Also, I work for a women's health clinic. If I worked in the government, I would likely have ended up in AG's position. Oh, 
Indeed. But I, too, have a hard time staying silent when I watch injustice happen. So thanks for all that you do. Nice. Aww. Thank you, Anonymous, for sending that in. And you're welcome. I feel like this is a big, like, thank you fest. And I love you guys. So you're welcome. Yeah. And you, guess what? You deserve it. I love you guys. I love you guys from my kitchen. <laughs> um, now we've turned it, we've turned you into, like, an old grandmother. Okay. <laughs> the next one is from Denise. She, her... Good news! I've always been extremely nearsighted and I had to have cataract surgery in 2015 and 2019 and retina surgery in 2018. The ca- I know, right? The cataract surgery in 2015 on my right eye gave me what I call a bionic eye. It was great. The retina surgery on the left eye had lots of complications and I was hoping cataract surgery would help, but not so much. So I rely on my right eye. However, new cataract lenses can get cloudy after surgery and I was losing a lot of my vision in my right eye. Street signs and small prints are really difficult to see for the past few months. I was afraid to get laser, laser surgery to cure this cloudiness because if anything went wrong, I wouldn't be able to drive to work drive or work and drive to work but after struggling to see i had the laser procedure done last week and voila i have my bionic eye back such a relief i love that i mean i would love to see i'm picturing i know it probably just looks like a you know run-of-the-mill eye but i i really am picturing like some sort of like 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 steel eye or right, like, like something. it makes noises. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm Denise is you. like, no, girls, it's just a regular eye. <laughs> but that's really great. I can't imagine having. I can't imagine how scary that that must be to to take a risk on a procedure that could potentially leave you without your sight, and um, that must be really scary. But it's so great mm. that the bionic eye is back. Yeah, like my mom had to have a lid lift and she has a degenerative myop, uh, something bad. Yeah. Where her, you know, she loses her eyesight over time. Uh, and yes. um, Oh, demacular degeneration? That's it. Look at and that. And she was terrified. She was terrified. So you could be a doctor on TV. I'll be the lawyer on TV. You be the doctor on TV. And uh, <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so <laughs> and together we'll make someone very happy. Um, I know. We can we can really be the NBC lineup. <laughs> it's a Thursday night lineup. <laughs> the real suburban housewives of Trump's America. Um, yeah, yeah. So she was terrified to get the surgery, but it, it worked out. So I'm so glad that this worked out too, Denise. Yes. Um, really, seriously. Uh, Me next too. up, I'm gonna read these next two because they're kind of short. Okay. Um, this one is from Emily. Pronouns she and her. Things have been really tough lately. I wanted to share a bright spot. I am a self-published author, and recently, another author discovered my work and has purchased my book, written a glowing review, and continued to talk me up in various ways, in various writerly Twitter spaces. Thank you for your show. You help me digest the news with the right touches of humor and anger. You are appreciated. This is so great, Emily. I, you That's have to tell so us what the great. book is. I want to know what yes. your book is. You're going to have send to send us this the to book. me. Send me the book. Or tell me where I can get send it. I'll buy book. it. I'll support you. I can buy yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And next up from, oh, this is a confession from Anonymous this the other really day. I, <laughs> this is really good. I'm so jealous you get to read this last line. I can't even. <laughs> it's really good. Okay. <clears throat> 
Try not to look ahead. Just read. Okay. The other day, I always do this. The other day, I accidentally missed my dog's groomer appointment because I woke up and ended up masturbating longer than usual. (laughs) I totally wouldn't have done this in the days, in the before times. Uh, I was able to reschedule and I was in a great mood the whole day. Self-care. Sometimes you got to flick the bean. Wink. (laughs) All right. All right, that's a listen. That's self care, baby. Good new new meaning to the daily bean. So yes, the daily bean. That's why we're beans queens. Yes, dogs don't really care about their grooming. Let's be honest. So like, <laughs> you know, do what you got to do. The dog will be fine. The dog was fine. But does the dog watch? Oh, that's, that know. is that's an interesting. We need we need a um, a follow up on that. Please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, please. Please, please, please. Send us a follow-up and go on with your best self. Okay. The next one is from Anonymous. He, him. Hey, AG. I'm going to get my obligatory uh, obligatory. I love Shira out of the way real quick. So nice. I love you, Dana, and your performance was wonderful. Mm, does he mean me? Amy? I don't uh, well, I think Dana? they love you and they love Dana. Dana who is, does the good oh. news with us on Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. Okay, okay. Um, also, I think it's kick-ass that you do this podcast. It's so nice to hear Adora give out good news and laugh about the evil orange man. Anyway, my goodness slash confession. My friends and I are starting a podcast. But in all Woo. honesty... I'm not excited to start it, but I'm super happy that I'm reconnecting with friends that I haven't seen since March. It's doing wonders for my mental health, and I can't wait to air our episodes. I would also like to thank you, AG, for being on top of the news with your take, no shit attitude. Uh, With your take, no shit attitude is a relief to hear amongst the waves of Trump talk I hear at work and spots of my family. Mm, My take, no shit attitude. You're welcome. I love a take no shit attitude. Uh, take no shit, but what? Be nice? Take, I don't take, know. Yeah, take no shit, but I will take like cookies and baked goods. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But definitely no shit. Yes. No shit cookies for real. <laughs> no shit beans. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. What do we have? Oh, next up. We've got, uh, looks like we have two more here. And the next one is from is a confession from anonymous pronouns she and her. First, I love my partner. I'm very lucky. He is kind, loving, and hardworking. I love the ones that start like this, by the way. I know. You know it's going to get just, it's going to yeah. crash and burn. Like, <laughs> I just need to get this out. I love whoever I'm about to take a shit all over. I love this so much. No? Yeah. Let, let, let me just, let me just say right now, I'm not a fucking monster, but here is this. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> now my confession. <laughs> this wonderful man drives me absolutely insane. The way he eats. Shoves chips into his mouth like he's chain-smoking potato chips. Talks with his mouth full. Really? Didn't your mother tell you to chew with your mouth closed? And is there nothing important for you to spit food across the table? It's just gross. Just stop. I cannot stand the way he drives. It's like he's on a racetrack or a fucking casual stroll down the highway. What's wrong? Just drive at a consistent speed. Seriously. I am sure there's a middle ground between Mario Andretti and an 80-year-old grandpa. No, I didn't see the barn, some tree, car, or random fucking house on the side of the highway. I'm looking at the road. (laughs) The way he interrupts my stories and tries to guess the ending. What the actual fuck? It's my story. Just fucking listen. Smile and nod and pretend my story is the best story you've ever heard. What's wrong with just letting me finish my thought? His lame ass sarcasm. It isn't witty or funny. Just shut the fuck up. The way he cleans his the way he cleans is stupid. So many things. I'm sure that being together every second of every day is wearing on my nerves. 
<clears throat> just writing this confession makes me feel better already. <laughs> I just need a girl's night out to bitch and complain and blow off some steam. I miss happy hours in person and overpriced pretentious cocktails. I miss wine tasting, gossiping, and laughing hysterically with my friends. I blame Trump. He is the worst human on the planet. I'm sure many people can relate. It is amazing to me how someone I can love so much can drive me totally fucking insane. <laughs> okay. Um, my confession is who broke into my diary from the last 14 days and submitted this as a confession for the daily beans but you know what you know a really really i understand on a cellular level the driving the the fucking casual stroll or racetrack oh i really get this i really get it <laughs> oh what's our last what's our last submission the last um, one is also I I would just have to say to anonymous please 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 get yourself a cocktail even to go just get one like delivered okay the next one the last one is from Jonathan he him whoa what is that word I can't read goy dog what is that I think it's uh Dutch for something I think like hello oh well goy dog y'all I'm an American living in Amsterdam for the past eight years. Klaatu. <laughs> They're going to... Verata. There you go, y'all. Um, I've been listening to Muller She Wrote since way back. One of the most consistent podcasts for years. Thank you for everything. From listening, learning, and getting more politically active in the workplace in the past two years, I've co-published an internal petition for mental health support. In early June, I found out that I'm ADHD. It's absolutely nothing of what I thought it was supposed to be. It can be hyperactivity in your head, too. Because of the system yep. in the Netherlands, I was able to get a diagnosis in a month and started medicine. It's a brand new world. Last Ooh. week, I was listening to the good news and broke into tears of appreciation, uh, acceptance, and as y'all shared about in invisible disabilities and ADHD. Yeah, baby, that's me. Um, this while I was folding laundry, just putting my clothes away in tears out of appreciation and inspiration. I then spent some time working on Leguminati in, uh, conspiratorial symbol. Oh my God, it's attached. And yesterday, <laughs> I confirmed my ballot has been successfully cast for North Carolina from mail-in from Amsterdam. Ooh, ooh. Oh my God, this is really good. I this is really good. love this logo. I'm this saving logo it right now. This logo is... Right click, save put image Put some as. beans on it. Also, I feel like this is a callback too, but like how could, how could Jonathan have known? This is like, it looks like the bean is being flicked. Mm -mm. Incredible. <laughs> and like... We love that. Mm, this is so good. I love it. <laughs> this is really good. It makes my eyes happy. You know what? I have to say, I'm so glad that Jonathan was able to get such a quick diagnosis and get on medication because I have ADHD and I don't know what I would be doing without medication. I honestly think I'd be, you know, I don't know, picking my nose somewhere or in a ditch. So I am so, so I can relate and I'm so happy for him. Yes, and very jealous of your health system. We're working on it. Yes, and thank and, and you jealous. are too. You cast your your Dems abroad ballot for in North Carolina, so thank you for that as well. It's going to help. Every yes. every vote matters. Every vote matters. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Amy, thank you so much for helping me read the good news today and confessions. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for having me. Yeah, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? Oh, yeah, I guess my final thoughts are I'm so glad that I'm able to read this good news with you on Fridays because I think things are about to get really dicey. And I mean, they've already, it's already pretty ugly, but I think the next, you know, few weeks are going to be really tough. And I think that we need all the good news we can get. So I'm very grateful to be able to do this with you and for you every Friday. I love, love, love having you on and you're my best friend <laughs> best friend squad that's a shira reference oh sweet hashtag best friend squad hashtag best friend squad teamwork makes a dream work <laughs> we should do we should do like a a series of inspirational posters from from yeah from, that you know. listen but we're kind of busy already working on our scripted podcast radio show Oh I yeah, forget, well, I don't know what we're gonna call it, but I'm gonna work on my 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 transatlantic accent for it. We'll, we'll call it yeah. See, that'll be what it's called. Yeah, yeah see, <laughs> flick the bean. See, <laughs> it's that good for you. Those the days will be our theme song. It'll be awesome. All right, well, everybody, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Do what you can. If you can't, we'll step in and do it for you. You can. My DMs are open on all three Twitter accounts, so just you know, hit me up if you need anything. And of course, you can check us out at dailybeanspod.com. Until until next week, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>